This is Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. This season is called Students of Struggle, a series of interviews with college students and affiliates about their personal experiences with suicide. The goal of sharing these stories is to increase hope and empathy. The following episode includes a discussion about suicide, anxiety, depression, and feelings of hopelessness, which may be triggering for some. Safety always comes first. If you or someone you know is not safe and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at one 800 273 8255. The views and opinions of this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. For this interview, I sat down with Jake Henry. He's 21 years old, tall, with a lean physique, dark brown hair, and striking blue eyes. You wouldn't know it, but he's been through a lot in his 21 years. He struggled with depression, thoughts of suicide, addiction, and even gone through a divorce. He sat down and shared with me what he has learned through all of those challenges. So tell me, Jake, what brings you hope in your life? Hope. I'd say what brings me hope overall is um, being able to share with other people. Um, I can understand what those people are going through, the people that I see, and just being able to share my knowledge in general and being able to um, hopefully teach someone something or help somebody become more self-aware in that aspect and be able to read those patterns of behaviors or, you know, see depression in others and to help them lift them out of it is, that's, I think that's what's hopeful to me. So the fact that you can use knowledge that you've obtained to make the world a better place. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, I, I prize that more than anything. What makes you feel like there is no hope? <sighs> Man, that's a tougher one. I'd say what makes me hopeless is when I see the exact opposite of understanding and communication. When I see the ignorance and arrogance of some people who would say something, you know, along the lines of get over it, something like that, man up, especially for men in general, uh, because I feel like they're not allowed in some situations. They don't feel like they're allowed to talk about these things, which creates a very difficult circumstance for them. That's why the male suicide rate is so high compared to women. Um, I feel like that's one of the reasons. And that makes me hopeless whenever I see people just completely ignorant of what depression and suicide and addiction really is. Almost seems like it's not going to get better because we're not making an effort to help each other. Exactly. And that that's what my goal is. I just want to make an effort to help other people. I don't want to have any ill will towards anybody. And I just want to lift others if that's possible and help them, you know, understand exactly what they're going through. And I always want to be there to talk to somebody if they need to talk about something. Now, you're very passionate about this topic. And yeah. so... Two questions versus basically why you're passionate about it. This topic, the um, idea and the idea of uh, self-improvement through trials and hardships, such as suicide, depression, 
I wouldn't trade those experiences I had for anything in the world because that taught me everything that I am today that made me who I am and that helped me to become a more self-aware person, um, a more motivated person. It helped me to realize bad behaviors I was um, making during all these processes and it helped me to, it opened up my mind to other people's experiences especially, which really changed me because people, so many people today in the day and age, they're so, it's everything so surface and you have to, you know, you're just focusing on what's next, my career, my job. And they don't notice that these people who are struggling like deeply, they don't understand what they're going through. And so it doesn't, it doesn't phase them that this person might commit suicide tomorrow. And so whenever I went through those things and I felt like nobody around me was there understanding exactly what I was going through and nobody was acknowledging it. And as soon as I was able to lift myself out of that with um, the help of, you know, professionals, I am now so grateful for my experience that I want to share that with other people and help them lift out, them out of depression and suicidal thoughts as well and see that life has so much to offer, especially if you can use what you've learned to help others. I think that's so valuable. I feel like you've kind of insinuated it, but I just want to ask, have mm -hmm. you or anyone you know personally experienced thoughts of suicide? Yeah, definitely. I've known someone who's committed suicide. Uh, I've also dealt with um, suicide attempts before in my life. There's one that sticks out in my mind uh, where I had a a pistol that was had the ammo right next to it laid out on a table up in my bedroom, and I planned to kill myself. I went downstairs just so I could eat something and have a drink, and then I go back upstairs and the pistol and the ammo was gone. I didn't know who took it, and nobody ever told me who took it, but I knew that it was gone after that. And multiple times of me, you know, cutting myself and trying to kill myself just because I was so utterly miserable, and I felt like there was no end to the misery that I was experiencing and the disappointment that I felt like I was causing my family. What do you feel like led you to those points of darkness? Um, I feel like a lot of it was comparisons and, um, especially not only comparisons, but expectations. So growing up, I always felt like I wanted to be free and independent. And so I was stuck between this, this idea of being free and independent, but then also following the rules of um, a doctrine or following the rules of my family and I was scared of my of the consequences if I didn't follow those rules and so it caused this constant battle in myself where I wasn't able to solve it it also caused a lot of insecurities in myself I wasn't able to for a long time I wasn't able to even talk to a girl because I was so insecure about myself and I didn't I didn't think anybody could possibly ever love me because I was so insecure and I thought that I wasn't a man. That was a big issue. I thought that because all my brothers were, you know, such these, these manly men that I couldn't, I'm like, I'm not like them. Therefore, I'm not a man. And so that caused a lot of battles within myself as well. That caused me to depression and suicidal attempts and then ultimately addiction. Is there anything that during that time kind of cause that process to be worse whether something somebody else other people did that wasn't helpful and then what did people do that was helpful i think what people did i'll start off with what was helpful what people did that was helpful was um one of my brothers who 
had experienced something similar, was able to connect with me on some level above what I was going through. But I was still very, very reserved in what I was going to say to him. Because even then, even though I knew he had gone through something similar, I still felt like I was I was a far bigger disappointment. And then something that definitely didn't help was, again, those expectations. I remember my brothers would always tell me that I was the best of them. And so that made me, that led me to this idea that, oh my gosh, if I mess up, I'm, it's over. Like, I can't, I can't mess up now. And so I was struck with this really heavy responsibility and expectation to be somebody who I just felt like I wasn't whatsoever. And that really caused me to delve deep into addiction, especially, especially, and, um, a lot of bad behaviors and, um, manipulation and lying because of it. Are there any specific experiences that you would like to share? I remember that there was there was one day it was um this just this is a evidence of how deep my addiction was and how much I didn't care about what anybody else thought and I just wanted to be free from everything that was going on. I no longer cared about life and I was very this ties into a lot of my um moral uh, philosophy later on, especially when I was entering rehabilitation. There was a day, it was a Sunday, my um, girlfriend at the time had come over. We were all going to go to church and uh, my family had left and they went to church and then I knew that they had Ambien. That is a drug that is supposed to make you go to sleep, but if you stay up on it, you get very, very inebriated. I decided that I was going to go take some of that Ambien. I didn't realize that the prescription dose had increased. And so I took three of them. I went to church and I started to notice on the ride there that uh, something's wrong. And then I got to church and um, I was sitting in the pew and my family all noticed. And I hardly remember the day. I remember going to the hospital and having my blood taken and then thinking of how am I ever going to explain this. And then I was, the, the blood test came back negative even though I know what I'd done, but I just, I wasted my family's day in a hospital and I, I was super close to overdosing because of my addiction and what it did to me. And I didn't care if I died at that point or not. You said you had a girlfriend, you mm-hmm. had, you were with your family. Do you feel like at that point in time you had any safe connections or people you were close to? No, definitely not at that point. At that point I was... Nothing was fulfilling to me. There's So there's, there's something I want to talk about, and it's this level of depression where literally nothing matters. And if you, start to do, you start to form this nihilistic attitude toward life, and you become very, very resentful and hateful, especially if you've had previous issues with neglectful family members or something like that, and you become hateful and spiteful towards everything. And that's the darkest place that I got to, where I was hateful and spiteful of everybody. I would fake, I'd feign love and feign affection just so I could get what I wanted in the end, which was just to, you know, supply my addiction. And so my girlfriend at the time, no matter how much I wanted to believe that I loved her, I didn't because I was constantly doing drugs and I was constantly drinking and doing all these things. And I didn't care if I hurt her at all. I would lie to her constantly and I'd lie to my family constantly because I felt so resentful and spiteful towards them that I didn't care if I hurt anybody. Why do you think you turned to addiction, turned to drugs and alcohol when you were depressed? I knew from watching my brother that this would cause my family pain. And 
I hadn't experienced it. And so once I started doing those things, I realized this causes, this gets rid of any thoughts I have, any dark thoughts that I have, at least for a moment. So it's that self-gratification, that, that instant um, pleasure-seeking, mm-hmm. yeah, payoff behavior. Um, and then also on top of that is if my parents find out about this, they're going to be devastated. And that made me want to keep on doing it. And so, you know, stealing from them their medication and drinking and going out and partying and do doing everything that was opposite to what they wanted was what I was going to do. That's how deep my resentments made me. And that's what that did to me as a person. I was I was no longer my own person. I was simply a tool to which I could use to hurt those who hurt me. Because you were angry. Because I was angry. It's because I had such a large and just out of control frustration with my environment and the world around me. What do you think would make a connection safe for you? Make you feel like you're close to somebody that you could that you could turn to them in a time where things may be spiraling? The connection that I would need at that point or um, somebody going through something similar may need at that point is somebody who understands the thought process of somebody who is who is spiteful and resentful towards everything and that it's not it's not sadness that is pushing them to want to kill themselves it's that it's the belief that everything must hurt because i hurt so bad and somebody coming in who knows how to talk to this person and tells them that i know you're hurting and i will hurt with you i don't want you to feel anger towards these people anymore and i don't want you to feel hurt anymore and i think just those words of i will be here with you I'm somebody who cares. All I want you to know is that I'm here for you and to care for you. To have that connection where somebody's actually showing real, um, genuine affection and genuine care without anger or without judgment is something that really, really helps and is a big support in that case. I think that is probably one of the biggest things that makes a connection safe for everybody is knowing that it's a judgment-free zone. Yeah, essentially, exactly. it's it's unconditional love. I know for me in the experiences that I've had, uh, the people that I felt safe with and confiding my dark thoughts to, I knew that they could understand because they had been in a similar place. And I continued to go to them because I never once felt judged Mm -hmm. or condemned or like I was a bad person for having those thoughts that... I wasn't proud of, yeah. but nonetheless existed. And I, I those feelings that I was feeling were real. Mm-hmm. For you, what do you think was the turning point to recognizing where you were, that you were angry, and being able to try to find happiness again? Rehab was definitely it for me. What they ask you when you enter is do you have a philosophy on life? Because this is actually very important to them, especially as, as trained psychiatrists, what, there's, what they need to talk to you about and how they need to communicate. And so I remember very specifically that whenever I entered rehab on one of my first days, they said, do you have a philosophy on life? And I said, yes, I do. And I was excited about this question. And I said, I think I should die. And I think you should die. 
and I think we should all die. There is nothing on this earth. Give it back to the animals. I said that um, I thought that only, the only people who deserved to be alive were people who made some sort of change to the world that was astronomical in scale. But the longer I was there and the longer I started to talk to these trained professionals who helped to point out my moral inconsistencies that I was having and helped to explain to me, why, I'm, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And then explain to me that I, it was my choice to be spiteful, to be resentful. And that I just needed to let that go because there was no amount of healing that was ever going to happen unless I was able to let that go and forgive those who I felt had harmed me for what I felt they did. As I kept talking to them and they under they understood what I was going through because they were talking to my family as well and they understood um, how I felt and they knew exactly how to respond to it. And so they were able to coach me through this forgiveness process of those who I was so spiteful against and really help turn my attitude from a place of hatred and resentment to a place of just wanting to help those who are um, experiencing something similar and to lift people rather than drag people down. So you had experienced so much pain that you basically figured that uh, as humans, we just make pain. Yeah. That's all we do. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't exist. Yeah. Do you have a different perspective now? Oh, Absolutely. I think that humans, um, all of us, are capable of so much good, uh, but just as much as we are capable of evil. And so I think that if I can be a force in any way possible to help others, to spread good to others, then I'm going to do it. And whenever I see other people doing that as well, that brings me that hope. It brings me hope whenever I see others just being kind and others lifting people and others communicating problems effectively and trying to figure out something greater for the community or their families. And that's what I really find is great. And so I definitely don't think the way I did. And I definitely think that humans and all of us are so valuable. Each one of us as an individual is incredibly valuable and you should never diminish your own value. Because once you start doing that, you'll start to diminish the value of others. And when you diminish the value of others, that creates resentment and that creates spite. And that's not what you want. It's definitely not what I wanted in my life. I think that is so profound what you said that it kind of starts with yourself. That if you start resenting yourself or being angry because oh, I'm always falling short. Yeah. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm always going to be a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Or whatever your thoughts are, whether it has to do with weight or, you know, anyone else listening, the struggles that you personally are having, basically what you said is it won't stop there. Yeah. It's almost like a, it doesn't. a virus that continues to grow and, and infect everything and mm-hmm. that will impact your view of others. That's a pretty big mindset shift. You went from viewing everyone and everything as harmful and yeah. painful and something to just escape and basically leave behind that's a pretty big shift now that you view everything positive so how did you make that a whole lot of self of looking in inward so a big step to people who are resentful at the world so who have who have already gone through that stage of i'm resentful of myself and i'm insecure and they're now spiteful against the world a big step that you have to make is look inwards and to be introspective and to start to, if you have somebody there who's able to teach you 
behaviors and systems of belief to look out for that are toxic or negative. And then you can, you yourself, if you really want to change, and this is a big issue, the person who is going through this has to want to change because there are people who are depressed, but who aren't willing to put in the effort to actually change. They haven't reached that rock bottom, that real rock bottom yet to where their lives are so out of control that they're either going to take the route of suicide or they're going to try to do everything they can to make a change. So I think that once you have those people who start to help you identify these thought processes and these behaviors that you're having, and you can start to say, oh, I know that's bad. I'm going to go in the opposite of that. I'm going to do whatever is not that because I know that it's dragging me down. And in, and really this all, I think this all occurs in your mind. So whenever you have this state of existence of absolute hatred, it's all in your mind what you have to deal with. You have to deal with the resentments and you have to deal with the insecurities that you have. And then you have to start fixing those pathways in your mind and then projecting goodness out into the world instead of those negative insecure thoughts. Could you give us an example of this philosophy or, mm. you know, the negative philosophy or the negative way of thought? What is an example you could give? Whenever I was in this stage of thinking, I thought that if I was ever wronged, that it, w- it was never it was never my fault if I did anything wrong, that my actions weren't, they were simply a revenge on those who had harmed me. I am justified in my actions of hurting others. These people harmed me. So whoever harms me, you can expect that I'm going to harm everybody. It's going to be tenfold. And another really bad thought behavior, behavioral pattern that I noticed in a lot of people who were experiencing the same thing, especially in rehab, was some sort of a messianic complex, which is definitely what I went through. So a messianic complex is whenever you believe that everybody is worth nothing and that they have all wronged you your entire life and then there's going to be one day whenever you're going to show up and you're going to you're going to show them how how grateful they actually should have been how worthy you actually are and how much you're actually worth that's another another dangerous thought process is believing that i will show them attitude that i'm going to show them i'm going to prove something what's interesting is this the, this is the exact thought process that ends up with school shooters So it's these alone people who go through this horrible resentment and then they feel like they have to punish the world because of how much they hurt. And that definitely, something like that could have definitely happened with me. I know that because of how much I was hurting, I was willing to punish the world for that. So I think to get back to what you asked, the, the behavior that I experienced was pride. So first it was pride and then it was seeking revenge for hurt that I had experienced on people who did not deserve it. And then also believing that you are going to be the one to save everybody and to show everybody how great you actually are because you're so insecure that you can't see any other way of being fulfilled. I think it's interesting, this concept of uh, you're going to be sorry. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be sorry you treated me this way. Instead of recognizing that your Mm self-worth, your intrinsic value is not, does not hang in the balance or hang on what other people do or how they treat you. It has no impact on how much you are worth. It's no reflection of that. And sometimes that's really difficult because we wonder, why am I being treated this way? Or 
you grow up great or you have a great life. Mm-hmm. And through these self-deprecating thoughts, which leads to anger towards others because you feel not good enough, you begin to twist your reality. So you see it in a way that is not true, but you believe it. Yeah. You believe that everyone's out to get you or mm-hmm. that in my case, like I'm a burden. I'm a burden on everybody and it would be better if I wasn't here. And that reality is twisted and it's not real. Like you said, those I wanted to hurt people, but they didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. But in our minds, we think that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's this going deeper and deeper into this hole in our minds where we convince ourselves of all these negative perspectives. When you experience those thought processes, mm-hmm. what did you learn to do to redirect that in a positive way? It's it's always been a battle and it's still a battle to keep those thought processes out. But thankfully, through learning coping mechanisms that I was able to learn in rehabilitation, such as whenever I'm thinking that way, I try to go and um, socialize with the nearest person because I know that whenever I start thinking that way, I'm isolating. And isolation creates a a wave or like a thought process in your mind that leads to dark and depressing thoughts. And so I know that immediately if I start having those kinds of thoughts, I need to socialize. I need to get out there and I need to talk to people because that brings me to reality. So it's all about bringing yourself back to reality and not festering in your own head. So a lot of the things I would do were very simple things like rubbing my fingertips together or I would start to read a book. Simple things like this can actually work. They may, different ways may work for different people, but I knew that socializing and putting myself back in reality and then thinking about everything in a logical way, it's like, is it really their fault? No, it's not. Why do I actually feel this way? Pondering on those thoughts and then you're able, once you have figured out why you're having it and what it, what that thought is and why you're having it, you're able to push it away and then redirect your mind to a more stable and positive state. It's essentially being aware of- Self-aware, yes. Of the way that you're reacting mm-hmm. to outside stimulus, you know, yeah. being aware of, okay, well, when that person says that, I feel this reaction yeah. in myself. Exactly. I'm, I'm feeling defensive. Why am I feeling that way? Mm-hmm. And thinking, they were joking, they didn't mean it. Let it roll off my yeah, back, right. moving on. Roll off your shoulders, yeah. That, that kind of concept instead of rehashing it until it, it goes under a magnifying glass and you can't focus on anything else until it grows bigger and bigger until it consumes you. When you look back at everything that's happened, why do you, why do you think it occurred that way? What do you think was the starting point? I feel like the starting point for me was resentment that I had towards my parents. Um, I'm the youngest of four brothers and I felt, and this is why it was so difficult. I felt I wasn't treated the same way they were and I felt like I was neglected. It's, in my opinion, it is much easier to face a problem and overcome it whenever there's a perpetrator that you can point out and what they said exactly. So you you have the exact thing that bothered you. And you can look at that and say, that bothered me. I want to get rid of that. And I feel like for me, it was much more difficult to point out a perpetrator because they never said anything that was directly spiteful towards me. They never hurt me. They never did anything like that. But what I felt like they did do was neglect me of that time 
and of the experiences that I possibly could have had with them like my other brothers did. And at the same time, I was expected to follow the same rules that they did. So there was this dichotomy of, okay, I'm not being treated the same way as I felt they did. And I'm also expected to follow the same rules that they did. I don't want to do that. That is, I felt that was unfair, absolutely. And that I should be able to do whatever I want if I'm not going to be treated the same way they were. And I'm not going to be shown the same level of love that they were. And so that's what really started that whole avalanche of negative thoughts and of emotion and of harmful thoughts, self-harm thoughts and anger towards everything and myself and my parents and everything in the world. Do you think that or do you remember ever expressing those feelings to your family or did you just keep them inside? So Yeah, and that, that was also incredibly difficult because... I was so detached from my parents. It was based, It wasn't a father-son or a mother-son relationship. I did not talk to them like parents. I talked to them like um, a coworker, like a, a boss. I was uncomfortable telling them anything about me. And so that started a trend of perpetual and manipulative lying because I thought to myself, if I tell them the truth, they're not going to know how to handle it and they're going to get very, very emotional and angry with me. And if I don't tell them truth, I can possibly get away with it. And they'll continue to think that I'm being the good son that I'm supposed to be. And so this created this very, very self-destructive way of lying. I did try one time to um, talk to them about it. And I, I remember that situation. This is this was probably the first time I ever said out loud what I really felt. I went into my parents' room and we started talking back and forth. And then we started it started to get louder. And my dad said to me, what do you want me to do? Um, I'm trying to spend time with you now. And then I said, it's too late because that's where I was at that point. I wanted him to feel pain and I wanted both my parents to feel pain. I said, it's too late. You can't do anything. It's over. Those 18 years are gone and there's nothing you can do to get them back. Getting over a resentment like that is very difficult. That's 18, you know, however long years of your life that now you can't make up. You can't make up those 18 years. They're gone. You have to try to do whatever you can with the time you have now. And that's very difficult to do because you feel so robbed of a childhood and a life that you wanted to live, that your brothers got to live, but you don't and you didn't. And you were expected to follow the same rules and the same lifestyle that they did. And I just wasn't going to do that. So you felt almost like a violation of trust, mm-hmm. you know, that a child usually has for their parents is this automatic trust that we seemingly mm-hmm. are born with. You, yeah. You've kept me alive, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> I trust you. Obviously, hopefully it's more than that, and it's loving and nurturing. Mm-hmm. So how have you been able to, or have you been able to rebuild that trust? Yeah, I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely getting there. It's... It's as much of a process for my parents as it is for me because I'm having to learn to love them and really want to spend time with them and want to be around them as the same they are trying to trust me and understand me and realize what kind of person and who I actually am. And so it's this back and forth conversation that we're having to have and they're having to actually learn who I am and I'm actually having to learn to love and respect them as parents basically it's starting a relationship from scratch almost you you almost have to to start over if Mm -hmm. you've had such a deep level of hurt between you and another person and 
I do want to acknowledge for our listeners that there are always multiple sides to every story. Each side is valid because those feelings that each, you know, the parent feels, uh, the spouse feels, the child feels, those are all real. Everyone's going through different experiences Mm -hmm. and emotions. And it's a process that everyone has to go through. What do you think have been some of the biggest lessons that you have learned because you got to such a dark place where you didn't want to live? What? How has that impacted your life? It made me finally break out of that shell of I have to live the life that other people want me to. And so I realized that I don't have to do what I don't want to do. I can be my own person and I can go live the way I want to live as long as it's healthy and as long as it's proper a good way to live like i'm not harming myself or anything like that or others or others especially yes so that was a huge thing i learned and then it also just helped it really taught me to just stop hating there's no good reason to hate i i I understand so much the feeling of i feel like i can't let this hate go but to anyone that's going through it i i know that you can because it is possible i've done it and i'm i was able to pull myself out of a place where the world it was me versus the world and so that's one of the biggest things I am now here to help and assist and to help people see different perspectives different perspectives and to really add a level of openness to the people around me so that way they're able to empathize with people who may be experiencing these sort of things how did you learn to forgive because you did have that resentment, mm-hmm. whether or not it was, you know, rightfully placed or not. Yeah. You still had to go through that process of letting it go. Can you walk us through how you were able to do that? I think a big influence on me was um, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who is a, he's a professor and a, and sort of a modern philosopher. And he, because I hadn't learned this from my parents, I hadn't learned how to be a man. I didn't know what a man was. And I didn't think I was a man, my idea of a man. And so having that influence, that positive influence to teach me, I can be responsible and I can be, I can be a man and to know what a man is and that I don't have to live by other people's rules, but I can build myself and create the life that I want. I feel like that really helped me forgive because I was able to no longer fester on those ideas of oh, my parents made me like this and my parents made me like that. And I could now be like, I no longer feel like I have to be this way. So I can forgive them finally of what happened and I can move on from that all. It sounds like it was this this set of expectations of, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps the stereotypical macho man. Yeah. And you didn't feel like you related to that. And so that resentment of, I'm not good enough turned into, how dare you put this expectation upon me? exactly. But now you're able to realize that, ah, I don't have to be the stereotypical macho man or whatever you want to, you know, whatever people think of when they think of the typical guy where it's, you know, outside labor or Mm -hmm. weightlifting or like, rah, um, or grilling, you know, I don't know. But that you, if you are, like you said, responsible, if you're respectable, if you're kind, if you're loving, if you're a hard worker, that's being a man. Yeah, exactly. A man is what values I deem good and 
and actually righteous um, and that I'm able to teach others and help others using those values. So like you said, being a hard worker, especially that's one for me and, and caring and teaching are parts of being a man to me. And then also always learning and seeking out new knowledge and um, having a sense of adventure. That's what makes me the man I am is uh, all those things in conjunction and coming together to help others. What advice would you give to people who are going through these thought, these self-deprecating thoughts and, and wanting to, to harm themselves or to end their lives because they are in so much pain? My advice would be uh, you don't have to feel this way. This isn't the only option. Self-deprecating thoughts, hatred, loathing people, you do not have to feel this way and you can make the conscious decision to choose to be happy and choose to become a better person, a person that wants to help others and create life possibly and to create a community and values around you that emulate happiness and joy. You have that choice. It's not easy. It's never going to be easy, but you can always keep trying to be the person that you know deep down inside that you are supposed to be this kind and good and loving person because I feel that all people really have abil the ability to let go of those resentments, let go of that anger and to spread knowledge and truth and happiness to those around them. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts specifically. And I think it's important to note that we shouldn't get caught up on the phrase, choose to be happy and think, ah, mm -hmm. oh, I can flip a switch. Yeah, no, it's not a switch. It's not like that. It's a process. It's a process for sure. I know through my experience with counseling, we talked about how I have why I have practiced a pattern of thought for years and years and years yeah, and years. That's what makes it so difficult. To it's, change. Yeah. The, uh, I learned a lot about this in rehab is the um, the actual pathways in your brain that form from habit forming activities. So when you start to think this way of anger and resentment and you keep on doing that, that's reinforcing that pathway in your brain, in your head to want to keep on defaulting to being angry and resentful. It takes a very strong person to change that pathway in your head through repetition and um, habits to become more positive and more overall just happier in your in the way you think. And that's why it's the the first little while is the hardest mm -hmm. because you feel like you're not succeeding and that it isn't possible to be happy again, but it is. It just takes that consistent effort of trying, like you said, to rewire that thought process and those instinct reactions or knee-jerk reactions to deconstruct them and rebuild them in a new way. And after some time, it will become, like you said, more of a habit. Mm -hmm. And then you'll realize you'll be able to look back and see that you're in a totally different place than yeah. where you were before. And it just takes that patience and yeah. that work and that effort. And that can be discouraging if somebody is exhausted because of the pain that they're in or yeah. the suffering that they're experiencing. And I, Yeah, so I had the fortunate um, opportunity that I'm so grateful for of, of being able to go to rehab because that was an isolated experience where I was, I had one choice and that was to keep on trying. And so if you can try and recreate 
a um, a situation like that for yourself where you only give yourself the choice but to keep on trying. So don't make it an option. Make it, this is my only option. There is no other option. My only option is to keep on trying and to keep on rewiring my brain and to keep on keeping on, essentially. And so if you can go to rehab, if you feel like you are in a very deep and dark place where you have no motivation to do anything and anything like that, rehab was definitely, it's not just for addiction. It can be for severe, severe depression and really help you out in those ways. You just got divorced. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that kind of a relationship when it ends, it can be very difficult. And sometimes it can cause somebody to go back to a dark place that they've been before. So Mm -hmm. how have you been able to stay afloat throughout this experience? So it was difficult because I was married. I hadn't had to deal with those emotions, those dark emotions in a while. I was usually with my partner. Um, I never had to think about those things because I wasn't around my family often. And so I felt like, okay, finally, it's all over. I'm never going to have to deal with that pain again. As soon as I lose that comfort and that sense of stability in my life, the first thing that came back was all the anger and all the frustration. And that was incredibly difficult. But I knew I'm, I'm so happy that I had my coping mechanisms because I was immediately um, aware, self-aware of what I was feeling. And I'm like, I know exactly what this is. And I was able to immediately go and socialize and be like, I'm feeling this way right now. I don't want to feel this way. Can you help me? Can you talk to me? And just like as soon as that emotion hit, going out there, going out to other people and being like, I need to talk with you because I am absolutely devastated and it won't go away. And so... Just talking until the feeling at least, if not totally subsides, at least dies down and you're able to return to some level of normalcy and having those people around you to do do that with is incredibly helpful. I know there's something similar happens with people who are anxious, Mm -hmm. who have issues with anxiety is it just kind of builds and builds and builds and you could say one to 10 and once you get to an eight, an eight to 10 range, it's difficult to think logically and and to get back down. But if you can recognize that you're rising to those higher levels and be like, I'm starting to freak out, you know, or I'm starting to feel really dark or depressed or angry. Mm -hmm. And you recognize that then you can, like you said, nip it in the bud essentially with a coping mechanism like socialization or relaxation or meditation or exercise. I mean, people talk about how important it is to, to interact with others and to be active, but that's because it is important. Mm -hmm. And then you can bring yourself back down to where you are thinking logically and you are in control and not letting your emotions drive the bus. Is there anything else that you would like to comment on with regards to that experience and that loss of a relationship? Yeah, that was, that was a new trial in of itself. i went into a relationship that, um, I knew deep down I shouldn't have, and I lost all motivation and to do anything while I was with this person. I um, couldn't move my life forward simply because I thought I had done the right thing by marrying her, but uh, whenever I did, life just stayed the same for a long period of time, and I was perfectly okay with being content and not having to think about my emotions or not having to think about problems. 
it was definitely a new trial that I had to deal with and losing somebody like that, like the hardest thing was um, losing that companion because that was your person for so long. And I hope nobody has to experience that because the amount of loneliness you then feel is overwhelming. You feel like no, nobody, nobody's going to replace her. Like everybody you go talk to, it's like, no, not the right person, not the right person. It's like that person is now gone and there's nothing you can do about it. Once they're gone, it can feel empty. So yeah. how have you been able to fill that emptiness? Productivity is one. Um, keeping myself busy is very important in the beginning of something like this. Not isolating, because as soon as you isolate, that is the worst thing that can happen because you'll start to self-deprecate, and that's awful. Um, and Which then just leads to that spiraling, that spiraling process. process. And that's what you want to avoid at all costs is that spiral. So socializing with anybody that you can, getting out there and talking to people, people who care about you, people who know what's going on. They don't even know how they don't even have to understand what what's happening. Talking to my family, people who had never gone through it, didn't understand what it's like to go through that. But be, to be just being able to talk to them is so helpful in that situation when you feel like you have somebody there that cares about you and you're actually able to communicate to them exactly how you're feeling and how alone you feel, which is very important. Is there anything else that you feel impressed to to share any other aspects of your story that you think people should know? Yeah, I would say that it's a it's a daily choice to stay positive and to keep on and to hold back those resentments. I would also say that I wouldn't change anything that has happened in my life. I would keep it the exact same way I've had I, that it happened. It has taught me so much and made me the person I am today that I wouldn't want to change that for anything. I, I'm, I'm glad I went through those experiences and that level of deep, dark, and um, soul-crushing depression to come out on the other side and to be the person that I am right now, a free, independent person that's doing everything he can to love those around him and then create an environment of, of truth and learning. Absolutely, I wouldn't give that up for anything. I'd much rather have experienced this pain to come out stronger on the other side than have had an easier life and not know what I know now. I know that it's difficult to share raw experiences, especially mm -hmm. past mistakes, but I think that what you said about how you, you wouldn't change it, even though you recognize that some choices you made were pretty crappy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But because it taught you all these lessons, you're so much more aware mm -hmm. and have this desire to help others and this knowledge that you can use to help others. And I think that's important for anyone who's listening to remember, we all make mistakes mm -hmm. and we can let those eat us alive until we no longer want to live. But we can also use those, it sounds cliche, I know, but we can use those as stepping stones to make it a positive impact on our sphere of influence. It doesn't have to be the world. We don't have to change the world. We can help our neighbors, someone in the grocery store line mm -hmm. or whatever, feel better about themselves or be a shoulder for someone to lean on yep. and help someone know that they're not alone. You're not judging them because you understand. Yeah. One positive impact, that is a reason to live. Yep, I agree. 
I'd like to thank Jake for sitting down with me and being so open about his experiences so that other people could know that there is hope. I'm your host, Virginia Henry. This is Students of Struggle, the first season of Stories with a Voice, a podcast focused on spreading understanding and compassion about serious topics. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any organization and are solely the opinions of the participants. If you or someone you know is struggling and needs help, please reach out and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening to Stories with a Voice. Tune in each Friday for new episodes.